Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk about all things money and finances and where we furnish you with information so that you can make the best financial decisions possible. So if you want to be better with money, you want to purchase your first home, you want to learn about investing, where to begin, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further delay, let's get into this week's show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Conversation on Money podcast. It's another week. Hope you had an amazing weekend. Today, I'm going to be joined by another guest who is a very good friend of mine. Um, he is a industry professional like myself, and he's been around for a very long time. And he's going to be talking about something that is very, very relevant to what's going on right now. Again, with COVID-19, I try to keep the podcast relevant. And there are a few questions that I'm sure um, will be at the top of many people's minds who are listening to this around what happens with your life insurance, how do you get life insurance now, and so on and so forth. So he is going to help us demystify a lot of the misunderstandings about life insurance, and he's going to give us some tips that will really, really add value going forward um, in your lives and for your family and for your friends. His name is Keith Jarrett. He is the director of Life Insure Solutions Limited. Welcome, Keith. Hello, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's really nice to have you here, man. I, I appreciate you coming on as well, because truth be told, we have done this before. Oh, yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have done this before. Just a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of times. But the format didn't really work. So uh, we had to basically reconvene and try and get this done again. So I thought, whilst everyone's in lockdown, we can do this remotely via Zoom. So I thought we'd have this conversation all over again, because I think from what you do in uh, and protection insurance, as we call it, there are a lot of uh, misconceptions and myths. And I thought we'd take some time just to talk about some of those and your experience and how you're helping clients at this point in time. Okay, perfect. So how do you feel? I mean, when I look at insurances and whenever I used to advise and I used to talk to clients about insurances, one of the big things that people always to come back with is like, well, it's a waste of, it's a waste of money in it. Like, why, why would I take it? Are, are you still finding that? Yeah, we, you, you, you kind of find that from, from, from clients when you speak to them. They say, well, at the end of the day, it's something I don't need right now. Um, the way I would obviously speak to clients with regards to that is, is, is explaining to them that, well, if you want to take money, say, for instance, so a lot of them say to me, well, I'll just put it in a savings account, and then obviously for a, a particular period of time, um, you know, I'll have that money saved, and it's banked, and I can take it out and move it as and when I please. The thing is, if you think about it, if you sit today, I have two clients that start out today. One takes out a life insurance policy, say, for 50000 and one says, okay, fine, I'm going to save £50 a month, and I'm going to put it in the account, and that's going to go towards my life insurance or my retire when I'm retired, my, my my funeral costs and all that kind of stuff. If you do that, if that person, both of them, say for instance, unfortunately they pass away in a week or so time, okay, what would then happen is is that that person who was saving in the account they would be saving what 50, 50 pounds, mm-hmm. so that's all they would have in the account. The other person who took out a life insurance, let's say they're paying twenty pounds a month for that. They're instantly covered, so mm-hmm. therefore they would get an immediate payout of fifty thousand. I think what we've got to understand is is that yeah, we we think you don't need it in the interim, but we don't know you know what life is going to throw us at any particular given time. Mm-hmm. So it's better that you take it out and have something there than don't. 
Yeah. I guess for many people, the argument is I can't afford it at any given time. And let's face it, where we are right now with job uncertainty and all this stuff going on with COVID, if people did have life insurance policies and they have to tighten their belts, often the life insurance mm. policy is the first thing that, that, that basically Yes. Is. Um, and there's always that misconception as well of, of, as well of it's expensive. I can't afford this. Like, and I know from experience that's not necessarily true, but mm. do you still find that with your clients that you speak to at the moment? Well, yeah, we, we, we have found, obviously, um, we have a lot of clients, and unfortunately we've, we've seen quite a few bounce direct debits or cancel direct debits um, over the past month or so, obviously due to this. Um, now is definitely not the time to cancel your life insurance policy, mm. now more than ever. Um, you know, with the COVID-19, you know, with the, the rise in deaths um, and obviously in new cases, you don't know how it's going to affect, obviously, your family. You don't know if it's going to affect you. You don't know if it's going to affect your family or people around you. So realistically, if you've got a life insurance policy, you're going to want it to pay out. Um, I mean, just to give you a, um, a little snippet, I was at a funeral before all this started. Um, and um, a friend of mine who, for many, many years, um, it was her, her grandmother's funeral. Um, and at that funeral, three of the people that were at that funeral caught COVID-19. Wow. And they all died. Wow. So, um, and that was her, so imagine her grandmother, her granddad, her dad, and her stepmother wow. all died. And none of them had life insurance, unfortunately, um, which is it's terrible. I mean, they had obviously in terms of houses and they had, you know, things that were, were saved and stuff, but none of them actively had a life insurance policy. But all we're talking about getting had come to me and said, oh, I need to get life insurance sorted. I want to get life insurance sorted. And then something like this happens and it puts it all into perspective. Um, so, you know, with this time, especially this time, I would say to keep, obviously, your life insurance policy because we insure everything. Like I said, we insure cars, our phones, you know, we, we insure, you know, our house, we insure everything. But for some odd reason, you know, we're reluctant to, to insure our houses. And that's the most important, not our houses, ourselves. Not and that's yet. the most important thing, your own life, um, especially if you've got loved ones, if you've got kids, um, especially obviously if you've got like a mortgage or loans, you don't want to leave that financial burden on, obviously, um, the people that you love. So I would always say, Life insurance or insurance policies should be the last thing to cancel, um, yeah. especially in this day and age. So thinking about this, because I, I, I was listening to the radio the, the other day and they were speaking to a key worker and mm -hmm. he was saying that, you know, he was quite worried for himself and for his partner. So he's a key worker. He has to go into hospitals and stuff like that. And he was worried about picking up. Um, mm. the virus and then possibly anything happened to him and he was saying how he was going through the train of thoughts of what he was going to you know get together all of his pension paperwork all of his investment paperwork he was going to mm -hmm. try and make sure that he had the wheel up to date and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. insurance companies are known to be prudent with insurances and mm -hmm. how they write policies are you seeing any um, particular exclusions being included or any any terms that are being applied to insurance policy around yeah. COVID-19 right now? 
Yeah, so um, from March 19th, we had quite a few providers um, basically add additional questions to their applications, okay? Um, also, what they were doing is because obviously the, the NHS and GPs are flooded, um, they would not accept policies that didn't go through on either standard terms, which basically means that everything's fine and they're happy to accept mm -hmm. it based on the information provided, or non-standard terms. So basically, information provided, they've assessed it, um, but they've put what's classified as a rating, so they've increased the premium mm -hmm. um, to facilitate um, for, the, for that extra risk. Um, so what they've put in is um, three additional questions, um, and it's, it's surrounding, obviously, the COVID-19. It's just basically the fact of... Uh, have you exhibited symptoms or have to self-isolate? Um, have you been tested positive for COVID-19? Or have you been around anybody who has symptoms of COVID-19? Mm -hmm. um, once they ask all those three questions, if you answer yes to any of those, your application is immediately postponed for 90 days, so for the next three months. Right, okay. um, so realistically, if you have any, you answer yes to any of those three questions, then unfortunately, you won't be able to take out a life insurance policy. Um, good thing is, if you have got a life insurance policy before that, um, there are no exclusions to COVID. So if, for instance, God forbid, you had complications of COVID-19, which resulted, say, for you took out a critical illness policy, but then you had complications after having the COVID-19, which resulted in you getting a critical illness, um, then they would pay out. If you mm -hmm. were unfortunately to die uh, or to pass away, you know, you know, due to COVID-19, they would pay out. Um, so there's no issue in terms of your policy beforehand, but um, obviously over the last couple of months, I think it was on March 19th actually, um, there has been a, a significant change obviously in that. Okay, that's good to know. And, and that's kind of what you would expect from them, to be honest, yeah. um, given given the scale of um, infection rates and, and deaths as, as they have been. I, I, you know, thankfully, I think we're now kind of getting to that point where we are kind of plateauing and we're seeing that decline plateauing, on the other yeah. side. Yeah. So just taking this back to basics for the benefits of um, people who might be listening to this who obviously aren't in financial services like you and I. When we talk about life insurance specifically, yeah. and we talked about, we've used terms there, critical illness, what do they actually mean to the everyday person down on the street? Um, okay, so in, in, in terms of obviously protection as a whole, okay, um, it's basically an insurance policy, um, which obviously would cover something or someone. Um, so basically it would cover, you know, let's say for instance, you've got a mortgage or, you know, let's say it would replace an income, um, um, you know, or cover a person, etc. It, it basically facilitates something for an extreme life event, mm -hmm. such as death, such as obviously critical illness, um, where, you know, somebody potentially could die of something but they don't, but then obviously they can't immediately go back to work. So in the events of these in, of these things happening, they'll pay out a, a lump sum, um, with some policies paying them out obviously in increments as well. So you'll get a residual payment, uh, that being family income benefit uh, per month. Um, so basically, as I said, it's just, it's just something about insurance policy which just facilitates um, yourself or obviously you know your partner, your spouse, your kids. Um, it provides support Okay, so say financially, um, if obviously the worst was to happen. And when you say so, when you say a life event, it's either 
because there are different kind of policies. Obviously, yeah. death is is a big life a life event that a lot of people mm-hmm. are worried about. But it can also protect you for, for example, if you're unable to work because you were in an accident, so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have obviously policies that can replace incomes like income protection, um, that if you're off work due to accident, sickness or injury, um, obviously that can, can provide an income stream for you per month until you're able um, obviously to go back to work. You have obviously in terms of your critical illnesses, that's more of your um, more serious um, illnesses, which potentially could cause you to be off work you know, permanently. Uh, basically and then obviously you've got your life as well so if you unfortunately were to pass away um, or be diagnosed with a terminal illness um, obviously you've got policies in place that would cover um, obviously any of these kind of events. And just explain what you mean by critical illness because when you look at the list of critical illnesses now what these insurance policies cover is quite extensive and yeah not sure that people actually realize how much is actually covered and a lot of the time when you look at a critical illness policy, a lot of them will pay out upon diagnosis of mm. said condition. So just talk a little bit about critical illness and what that basically means for people. Mm. Um, so basically critical illness is um, it's something where you could potentially die from, um, but you don't, um, but can obviously cause you serious in what cause you serious damage, obviously in the long term. So if you think about it, you look at things the, the, the three major heart attack, um, stroke, cancer. Okay, mm-hmm. so those are the three major events of people you know you see usually on a, on a daily basis and, and are quite severe. Um, so in terms of cancers. There are many forms of cancer, okay? Um, in terms of, you know, you having a heart attack, there's many forms of having a heart attack. You know, you mm-hmm. could have a, a major heart attack, you could have a minor heart attack. You could have, you know, different terms in terms of blood valves, all that kind of stuff. With critical in, in illness, what it does is it identifies these different the differences in these major events that could happen to you. And it says, okay, we break it down and it will say, okay, fine. We will cover you based on you being diagnosed with these things. So um, what they call classified was ABI definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they will look at is strategically look at, okay, we have cancer. So what types of cancers do we have? Well, okay, let's start with, you know, the, the terminal ones. So we have things like pancreatic cancer. We have, you know, lung cancer. You know, we have skin cancer. But they're all variations of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, as you said, um, worse than others um some of them are, are more treatable than others um and what the critical illness tries to identify which are the more severe ones which could cost you your life and then basically what they'll do is under those um, events they'll pay you out a lump sum if you were to be diagnosed mm-hmm. obviously with one of them you do have um one provider um who they look at severity-based critical illness, which what they'll do is they'll cover you for more critical illnesses, but even the minor ones they will, but instead of paying you out a full lump sum based on that, what they'll do is they'll pay you out a percentage Mm -hmm. just based on how severe it is. So if you have £100,000 worth of cover um, and you get, let's say, full-blown terminal cancer, or what terminal cancer? But cancer can be treated, but let's just say um, it's lung cancer. Mm-hmm. for instance um but they can treat you now you might have to go on oxygen mask for the rest of your life they'll pay you out 100 of your quick illness policy mm-hmm. okay um let's say you've got 100 000, that's what they'll pay you if you then say for instance you've got i don't know uh malignant melanoma say for instance so it's a type of kid skin cancer 
But uh, it's a simple fix for them. They can be able to take it. Let's say you've got a mold in the skin. They can take that simple operation and then that's it. You can go back to work. Mm-hmm. They'll probably pay you out, let's say, 25% okay. of your critical illness, okay, because it's based on severity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, realistically, with, with the critical illness policies, um, you are more likely to get critical illness if you're healthy, um, non-smoker, um, in you know good um, heights and weight range, you're more likely to get a critical illness than you are to die within a period if you take out a life insurance policy, which is why critical illness is so important um, because you're more likely to claim on that than you would most people would on an actual life insurance policy. But it is more expensive. Yeah, I think that the statistics on that was that I think it was one in four, I believe, um, will experience a critical illness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think either earlier than dying or something like that. One mm-hmm. in four of us will, 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 will suffer from a critical illness than uh, die within our lifespan is, I think, was yeah. the statistics on that. And that's actually quite a staggering thing because you think about one in four, you think of a family of, you know, six people. Well, that's one person in a family potentially that will yeah. suffer from a critical illness of some, kind, of, some, of some kind in some way in the future. And mm-hmm. I guess for me then, one of the bigger questions is we, we have touched on the fact that it is slightly more expensive because the propensity of you having it is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. But when you compare that across the board to sort sort of a normal life insurance policy, which will pay out on death, mm-hmm. how much more expensive is it on average? Would you say? Um, so with critical illness. Um, and life cover, life cover is quite a simple product. So it is just a fact of, you know, you we look, we take your life, we take you, we take your height, we take your weight, we take your medical um, questions, we take your smoker status, um, and we take your age. Okay, so we mm-hmm. do that, probably you know, and then obviously the risk where that is concerned, um, you know, they calculate the risk and they say, okay, fine, we bet you. It's almost like a betting. We bet you that you are going to out your this policy so if you set up a term policy and you say okay i want a policy that's going to cover me to retirement age you know we're going to cover you if you're a healthy you know healthy person uh, let's just say you're 25 years old you know no medical conditions you're a non-smoker um then obviously your life insurance is going to be cheap because as far as they're concerned is mortality rate for men is i think 79 or 80 and for women it's like 81 in the uk so realistically, they're looking at you. You know, you should you should actually outlive this policy. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're going to give it you at a cheap price. Okay, so it's quite it's, it's very very simple. With critical illness um, now, if you look at the statistics in terms of cancer, it's like one in two now, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah one in two. So realistically, if you look at that, that's just one critical illness. Okay, so they've got to look at and assess the risks and you know the risks of how likely or how possible it is going to be that you might get cancer in your lifetime that alone there you know in terms of that statistic they'll look at it and say well you know because you are healthy now it doesn't mean you're going to be healthy in the future and you're more likely to get this so based on that they're going to be more it's going to be more expensive in terms of the policy so you might get a life insurance policy giving the same scenario i just have for um, you know, 25 year old male, you know, let's say 100,000 pounds worth of cover until the age of um, 65, say for instance, you might get that for about 10 quid. Okay. Well, okay. With a critical illness policy, okay, you might get that for about 20. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the reason being is it's almost double the price, is because it's double the risk, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, I've just looked up some stats here and just to double check my my thinking on that. And they were saying what you know, the question was, what are the chances of contracting a critical illness? And they were saying cancer is one in seven. A heart attack is one in 17, a stroke one in 27. Any of the above. So cancer, heart attack, stroke, it's one in five, they were saying, as the chances of catching those kind of critical illness. And those are just literally just looking at three, the three major ones. So when you look at it that way, it is quite a staggering sort of statistics. And I know that it's something that people don't want to think about. Everybody thinks, well, it's not going to happen to me. But the reality is you just don't, you, did, you have no idea what's going to be around the corner. And yeah. unfortunately things do, do happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the critical illness, and also one thing just to make obviously uh, people aware is, is that there is a shelf life on it. Uh, most critical illness policies don't go past 70 years old. And, you know, it's for that reason there, the fact of you're at more risk, the older you are, mm-hmm. uh, the more risky it is in terms of you taking that critical illness policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the stats which you just highlighted um, is the reason why they, you know, critical illness policies are so expensive. Um, but as I said, they're beneficial and useful. And if obviously you can afford to have one, you know, with my advice, all my clients that I see, I always recommend uh, some 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 sort or some form of critical um, illness in their policy, especially if they have kids as well, because most critical illness policies will cover their children uh, up to the age of 18 under their policy for up to 50% of what the critical illness cover is. So if they're, and it's a maximum of 25,000. So if they've got 50 grand worth of critical illness, they'll cover for 25,000. They've got 30, they'll cover them for 15. Wow. Um, and that's per child. And that's usually embedded within the critical illness um, policy. So that's uh, an extra feature of most critical illnesses, which a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I think that's a really, really strong point because if you do have family, you do have kids. Yeah. I, I, I can think of a number of people that I know already who have children um, who, are, who are poorly. And an insurance policy like that would really, really help them mm-hmm. with the financial burden they have to take on board when they are taking the kids to the to the hospitals and, and the disruption that it basically causes as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to kind of think about these things and, and it's it's not something that we can cover. So you can't literally cover um, a child um, for a life insurance policy. Mm. Um, so there's no insurance policies for anybody under the age of 18. So it's the only insurance policy there which actually gives some level of cover, mm. obviously, for um, for the younger generation up until the age of 18 when they're, they're able um, to take out their own policy. Mm. Um, some of them actually go to 21 um, as long as the child's in further education, so it will still cover them up until that age. Um, so I think it's very, very important. It's, a, it's an additional feature and benefit um, for any client. Um, and obviously, you know, when you think about the price, not just covering yourself, you're actually covering your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to, because this is quite topical, so we talked about, obviously, the life insurance and the kick there very quickly. Let's touch on income protection, because I think okay. that right now might have kind of, in mentioning it, piqued people's interest. Well, how does that actually work? And how does it work specifically with COVID-19? Either being okay. furloughed or losing mm-hmm. your uh, job, you may be redundant. How does that come into play? Well, funny you say this. I mean, there was, we, 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 um, going back and forth with the insurers, trying to get some clarification, um, obviously, with the COVID-19. Um, now, if you've taken out a policy before uh, March 19th um, and you were diagnosed with COVID-19 or you went off work sick with symptoms, 
then um, what would happen is is that the income protection policy would pay out. Now, basically, what income protection is is if you're off work due to accident, sickness, they um, call it accident or sickness, um, then it will pay out um, a monthly residual every month uh, up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so usually you have um, usually a two-year term they usually pay up to, but you can have five years, and in some cases. You can have, um, I think it's like up to 67, 68, so up until you retire. Um, but obviously, it's more obviously more expensive um, to have policies like that. But what it would Let's do repeat is... that bit though, Keith, because I think uh-huh. that's really, really important in terms of the level of cover that you mm. can have. So you just said there that you can have an, in, an income protection policy that will pay yeah. up to a to what age? You can have it usually, it's either two years, five years. Um, or you can have it up until retirement. Okay. So wow. if you were off work, um, usually they they what's classified as age costed policies. So what they would do is they would every year it'd be a reviewable plan. But if you were to claim on an actual income protection that you'd had to full term, so we'll say let's say retirement age, if you were off work due to accident or sickness, um, then or a medical condition then it would pay you out whatever we've set the policy up for. So let's just say you needed £1,000 per month, okay? That was your income. It would pay you £1,000 a month up until you're able to go back to work. If that's never, then that would pay you up until until you retire with that policy. And you can get those inflation linked, right, as well? Yeah, you can. With inflation over the You can get them linked as well, yeah. So, um, yeah, they cost a little bit more, Obviously, you can get one in terms of for just a year or even two years or five mm-hmm. years. So if you think about it, you've got a lot of people, um, and this is what I come across a lot um, in, in, you know, in employment today, not many people have you know, a lot in terms of sickness benefits, unless you work in terms of you, know, you work in school and education or you work for, say, let's say, for instance, the NHS, you probably have some things like sickness benefit and those mm-hmm. kind of things, obviously embedded um, within your contract, but uh, I usually find that a lot of people get statutory, they get the first month's pay and then statutory after that. Well, if you were the breadwinner and you, um, you know, let's say 1500 a month and, you know, something happens where you're going to be out of commission and you can't do your job for, let's say, six months, you know, you're going to get statutory after the first month pay, then you get statutory, what are you going to do for the rest of the five months? Mm. With an income protection policy, what that would do, that would kick in, and then that would pay you whatever your salary was. Well, it's up to usually up to about seventy percent of your salary. Mm-hmm. So you know, let's be honest. Yeah, let's just say you have fifteen hundred, but it can cover you for one thousand two hundred per month. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot better <laughs> than nothing. Well, statutory sick pay. Yeah, statutory sick pay. And I think statutory sick pay has come into the limelight recently because of COVID-19 and people realise that actually it's only £94.25 or something like that per week, which for a lot of people will just about cover rent. And then you've got to think about, you know, your your electric, your gas, your car payments. If you've got credit cards, you've got to think about that. Your personal loans, you've got to think about that. So these kind of policies have a huge, you know, purpose to fulfil in circumstances where this is the new reality that we are facing um, and mm. we are in currently for the foreseeable future. Hopefully this comes yeah. to an end at some point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing I would have said is if you could have got it beforehand, it would have been better. Obviously mm-hmm. with protection, 
as it is now. Um, obviously, a lot of people started claiming on their policies as soon as obviously COVID-19 started. Um, so they completely put a clamp down on income protection policies. Um, and that was March 19th um, that they did that. Um, and they don't cover it at all. So if you're off work, if you just got an income protection policy today, um, it wouldn't cover you for COVID-19, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But if you'd taken that part income protection policy beforehand, it would have, um, and it would have covered you, obviously, for that. Um, so, you know, when, when we're going over the fact of, you know, getting these policies early, because we don't know what's going to happen, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's important. Um, you know, most of the clients, when we're doing the reviews that I do reviews for, um, they're wanting to update their policies. But, you know, if they're exhibiting symptoms now, well, we can't. You know, I've been stressing the point, stressing the fact that we need to get this done. And there's a reason behind it and how important, um, obviously, having regular reviews of your insurance is and making sure you've got everything, obviously, in place, um, you know, because especially in these times, because you really cannot predict what is going to happen. Um, and, you know, with the shift and the changes um, that's happening at the present moment, it's a matter of time that insurers will change as well um, to facilitate that extra risk. Mm-hmm. So while you can, I would always say, get obviously your, your insurances in order um, and make sure they're correct and make sure so you seek the, the necessary financial advice from a qualified um, advisor. And that brings me to the next question, actually, which segues very, very nicely into it. Whenever you look at insurance policies, mm. I think the saying you pay for what you get is very very true yeah how important is it that people seek help from a, from a financial advisor mm. over going to moneysupermarket.com and getting mm. a cheap policy there yeah so realistically you know in terms of advice uh, um, say for instance if you wanted to say let's go i don't know let's say you wanted to set up a pension okay you would not go online usually to set your own pension. And the reason being is because this is money, this is retirement, this is what you're looking at. You go to a financial advisor. Now I know that in, in the scheme of things that you know protection, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't see it as on that kind of level, but it's practically almost the same thing. If you want to get the best policy possible, okay, then you need to seek advice for that. Because we as advisors look at areas of your life that you probably would never have thought of. You know, when you, when any of my clients come to see me, it's not the fact of, oh, well, okay, then we're just going to give you a life cover of 100,000 um, and that's it because you need some life cover in place. We look down, we break down, strategically break down your life exactly where you are now, okay? Uh, you know, break down what assets you have, you know, you know if you've got a family, um, what your life looks like in the next, let's say, 20, 25 years, you know, Lord willing. Um, and then what we do is we put different insurances in place to say, okay, fine. We are looking at you as a whole and your situation as a whole. How can we cover each individual portion um, that you have and say, okay, fine, let's put a life insurance to that. Let's put an income protection at a critical to that to make sure that in any eventuality, anything that happens, that you are actually covered, mm. and that can only be done if you, you know, you see, you know, professional um, advice. Um, at the end of the day, if if you go online and you look at a hundred thousand pounds worth of coverage, I just need a bit of life insurance in place. Okay, that's fine. But if 
you know, you've got um, a family who have two kids, um, and let's say Mr. is the, the breadwinner, say for instance, okay, and he's taken out life insurance of 100,000. His kids are, let's say, you know, two and three years old, and God forbid he was to die tomorrow, 100,000 is what his wife gets paid out, say for instance, okay, that 100,000. Now, these kids are two and three years old. If you look at it, yeah, 100,000 in the interim sounds great. But if he's the main breadwinner, how long is 100,000 going to really last? Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee you, to the kids of 21, it's not going to last that much, especially if, as I said, he was the main breadwinner of the mm -hmm. household. So, you know, if that client came to me, I would say, okay, fine, let's look at 100,000 of life cover for you. Okay, that's a lump sum. So they have their. And then we look at a family income benefit because we need to replace your income. Mm -hmm. You know, so let's look at family income benefit, which will pay a residual up until your kids are 21. So we've not lost financially your um, your income, but at the same time, you've got that coming in, or the surviving spouse has got that coming in, as well as they've got the buffer of having 100,000 um, as a lump sum there to cater for anything that might you know come about. So you can't come up with that unless obviously um, you seek professional advice um, and obviously that's what we're here to do we're here to look at it um, as a whole not just the fact of oh i just need a bit of life cover and that's it yeah i mean i used to i've used to advise people on um, on life in life insurance as well and one of the things that i always used to try and point out to people is you can go on to money supermarket and go and buy a hundred thousand pound life cover and pay five quid a month mm. or whatever that is but one of the things that you also need to be aware of is that, you know, in you doing so, the onus is on you to understand yeah. what all of the policy exclusions yeah. are going to be. And unless you're willing to take the time to read through the policy documents word by word, yeah. really take the time to read that small print, you really do run the risk that you pick up a policy that has an exclusion included in there that you might have read but didn't quite understand. And it just means that that £5 a month that you're paying for coverage is going down the drain unbeknownst to you because yeah. you don't understand what that exclusion or what that terminology basically mm. means. And that's where the real value comes from when you see a professional who can help yeah. you make these choices in an informed way. Yeah. I mean, literally, if you know, you hear the high stories of people who, you know, they take out these policies um, and when they take out these policies, it's like, well, why not? And they come to myself. It's like, well, why did you look, why did you look at that policy? Um, why did you take that policy out originally for? Oh, I just needed some life cover. Okay, well, let's break it down. What do you mm. have? You have kids, okay? You have a mortgage, okay? You have a decent job, okay? You know, the, the, the cover that you're taking out, does that facilitate all of this? No, okay. Let's have a look. What is it that you would need? You know, you start asking the, the you know the, the the various questions um to the clients the clients and the clients realize that wow you know i've gone out and taken this policy but you know it's it's redundant it's, it's not a policy that i actually need i've just been paying all this money into this policy um over this period of time and realistically you know i didn't need it i needed more um you know um i needed a lot more and i needed a lot more different things um, so, you know, when you, you're going out and you're going on, obviously, things like, you know, money supermarket, uh, and as I said, they're not going to understand the terminology. So if you say for you to take out a credit loaners policy, um, and they said they've accepted you, you know, but they've got exclusion. So let's just say you've got um, depression. Mm -hmm. 
what people don't understand is, and a lot of people don't understand is, you've got depression, yet the advice, I mean, the um, the insurer might say, yeah, we'll accept you, you know, we'll accept you on, you know, standard terms or non-standard terms. But what they don't understand is, is that they've got a huge exclusion under their critical illness that says, yeah, we will cover you for every other thing, about anything in the air that's related to depression, mm-hmm. mental illness, and the list goes on. So everything you potentially could possibly, because you've already got this, you could potentially um, be covered for, that you would need cover for, that's already excluded out of the policy. Yeah. So you, it's kind of understanding kind of where you are, what you need, but you know you're going to be able to do that if you come and seek, obviously, professional advice. I think one of the big um, misconceptions that people have is that when they go to an advisor, a protection advisor, that is going to cost them an absolute fortune. And I know that I've had conversations with people recently on IG who have asked me the question. It's like, well, how much is it going to cost me to go see a protection advisor? And I'm like, nothing. And they're like, what? So can you just explain how do protection mm-hmm. advisors like yourself actually get paid? Because people don't believe me when I say it doesn't cost them any money at all. Any money, yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It, it shouldn't. Um, realistically, nine times out of ten, um, advisors will not charge a fee. Okay, um, And if you go to somebody that does charge a fee, there's plenty out there that doesn't. Um, we as advisors, basically, we get paid through the insurers. So we have a panel of insurers that we use. Um, and once we set up the life insurance policy um, for the particular client, then they pay us what's classified as a commission. Okay. Um, so it is obviously free advice to the client. Um, so you don't have to pay anything. Um, one thing I will stress, um, if you do use an advisor, um, be mindful of the fact that we do get paid a commission uh, from the insurers, but we have what's classified in the indemnity period. So if a client then goes ahead and cancels that policy uh, with ourselves, that commission has to be paid back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to make it clear, if you are taking out the policy, it's a policy for the long term, not for, obviously, the short term, mm-hmm. um, because you may incur an administration charge that way mm-hmm. if you go ahead and cancel straight away. So, you know, you take the time to think about it, make sure it's affordable and feasible. Um, and then, obviously, if you're willing to proceed, you know, proceed. But the advice itself, it's, it's free. And on that note then, because the next question that a skeptic will have is, well, if you get a commission, Keith, Mm -hmm. then what's stopping you from basically selling me the most expensive policy or the policy that's going to give you the highest commission? Okay. So (laughs) obviously in response to that, you know, you have to look at the advisor. I would hope that most advisors are ethical. but we are, you know, regulated by the FCA, okay, Financial Conduct Authority. Um, so we do get audited, we do get looked into in terms of, um, you know, why we provided this level of cover um, for the client. So it's not in our best interest for us to go ahead and give a client the wrong, um, the wrong policy just to get a commission boost for ourselves. Um, reason being is because obviously if we get audited, we've given the wrong level of cover, you know, we can get into a lot of trouble. You know, we can be stripped off panel, we could lose insurance providers, you know, based on the fact that the FCA can close down. Um, and obviously that's our livelihood. So there's no way we'd want to do that. Plus, 
if you are smart as an advisor, you would understand that you sell only on benefits. So what the benefits of what the client needs, okay, um, and you set it on that basis. Now, don't get me wrong, some policies are more expensive, but you have to find it. It's, 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 you have to do an affordability check. So we can't give mm-hmm. you, so if your affordability and surplus income is, I don't know, let's say 200 pounds a month, we can't then go ahead and give you a policy of 250 pounds a month mm-hmm. because we have to make sure we've done our due diligence and looked obviously into the financials and it says you can only afford uh, your surplus is 200. Then if we give you 250, then we're not doing our job mm-hmm. as advisors um, where that's concerned. And obviously we'll get looked into um, for that. Um, plus, on another note, if I was to do a policy which you know I overcovered or overinsured a client, you know, what's stopping another advisor obviously coming in and completely doing something completely different mm-hmm. and making it cheaper? So realistically, and then I have to pay, I'd have to pay the commission back to the insurer. Mm-hmm. So to do a good job the right way is in our best interest or any advisor's interest. And with that then, because I think you make a really good point there in terms of there are suitability reports that need to be that need to be completed and that yeah. has to be signed off by a compliance department so yeah all of these things have to align and you can't do something that contravenes the conversation that you've already had with your client in the first place and beyond all of that compliance um, requirements and, and the things that you have to do from that point of view just as even as someone who runs their own protection practice mm-hmm you want to do a good job for the client because that client is likely to recommend you to a friend, a family. Mm -hmm. And that's how, as a business, you tend to have the ability to grow and gain more clients by doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, referral business is is absolutely key. Um, I mean, you know, if you do, you know, let's say one client and that client refers you to potentially another four or five clients, you know, that is steady stream of business for us as advisors, um, and it's sort of a, um, a longer period because what it is is that you want to keep those clients for as long as possible, and clients will stay loyal to you as long as you're doing a good job. Um, and you know, for a business to grow, you want obviously loyal clients. You want clients to stay with you because they know that you do a good job. It might be the fact of you know, let's say they might be able to get it from a, a telesales, you know, phone. Fisher's advisor, say for instance, mm-hmm. for two pounds cheaper, but they're willing to stay with you because they know the service, the level of service that you provide, and I think that is that is that is key. Are there any other advantages that they get from seeing uh, an advisor like yourself? Um, yeah, um, obviously you got the advice. Um, a lot of the times is because we have. Uh, put X amount of volume of business through insurers, we get what's classified obviously as preferential rates. Okay. So you, you potentially could get your policy cheaper through an advisor than you would going online. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, you've got obviously the advice aspect of everything else. And I mean, in, in terms of uh, just looking at it together in terms of, everything when you come to see an advisor you know your advisor advises you you know strictly obviously on the protection product but you have the the understanding and you know that you know your affairs and everything that you've got set up is obviously in order and i think you know it's peace of mind a lot of the times when you come to see an advisor um that 
you are paying for opposed to just the actual the policies. Because like I said, if you go online, you really don't have that peace of mind unless you go through each and every part of the, the terms and conditions of a document, um, have a look. And then even then, who's to know if you can um, if you can understand the terminology? So it takes its time. So the advantages, obviously, in terms of also coming to an advisor means is that you've got one person that looks at all that for you. You don't have to worry. Mm. Um, I think that's that's where the real true value lies uh, with coming to an advisor. And have you had any horror stories in terms of insurances? Because one thing that I know that people are worried about is, well, if I take out this policy, I've heard that they don't really pay out. Are there any horror stories that you've come across and what are the yeah. you've learned from them? <laughs> yeah, um, to be fair, we had one quite recently last year. Um, a client um, taking out policy with um, ourselves um, his wife had done redone their policy um, and she had mentioned that the husband was a non-smoker. It turns out that the, the, the husband was an actual smoker on the policy. Now, unfortunately, the, the husband had a bit of a cough um, after we had done the policy. So we got the policy done and dusted right in the nick of time. Um, and then he'd gone to the doctors a month after uh, and he was diagnosed with um, a terminal illness, and then he unfortunately died in the July. Wow. Okay. Um, the unfortunate thing about this is, is that we got a letter from um, the provider saying they're not paying out because it was a non-disclosure of him being a smoker on there. Now, obviously, in, in times like this, you know the the client's frustrated. Um, you know, she unfortunately, you know, she's at risk now of losing the house. Son's frustrated. And a lot of the times he's the advice of the first person to get blamed. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that all comes to us first off. Um, but just like I said before, as an advisor, you, you do your due diligence. Um, you have, we had a recorded call. And on the recording, we record everything. Obviously, and on that, the client specified, we asked again and again, does the client smoke? And they said no. And unfortunately, that one little thing, which might seem small, you know, and let's say that the client would have still been covered, they just would have increased his premium a little bit more. So he probably, instead of paying, say, £20 a month, he might, for his car, have to pay £30 a month, mm -hmm. which is nothing if you think about it for the client in this situation now. Um, but because of this, this non-disclosure, however little it was, the, uh, the provider would pay out, which is unfortunate. And I think it's worthwhile just pointing out that that little question of are you a non-smoker is an easy one for people to misunderstand if they're filling it out themselves. Because yeah. I think to be classed as a non-smoker, certainly when I was advising, they, they refer to whether you've smoked in the last 12 months. Or 12 months, yeah. So you may not have had a cigarette for six or nine months, but, but you're within yeah. that 12 month, you are classed as a smoker. Now, smoker. If you go and do this on Money Supermarket, and that explanation isn't given clearly, but it does apply to the person that you're, or to the company who's going to be providing this insurance policy, that's yeah. immediately an exclusion that means that that policy is not going to be valid for the purpose yeah. of which you're buying them for, which is the whole point, the advantage of seeing a financial advisor who can exactly help you identify what an exclusion is and how it impacts your personal circumstances. 
Yeah, I mean, literally with with the smoker status, it's it's, it's quite clear. I mean, people um, that vape, uh, that take nicotine replacement products or patches, still classified as a smoker. Um, you don't necessarily have to smoke uh, to be classified as a smoker. And these things all impact your insurance policy. Um, and you're not going to know that. You're going to think, well, I vape, so it's not, I don't smoke, I vape. Well, no, you're still classified as, as, as a smoker, um, according to obviously the insurers. Um, and, you know, you're paying into these policies that sometimes a lot of clients, I mean, we've I've had quite a few clients who have been put down as non-smokers um, on their policies, but they smoke when you ask them. So you've not smoked, stopped smoking in the last 12 months. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, um, I vape. Well, vaping is still classified as smoking. Mm. And, you know, God forbid anything happens to you. The insurers are not going to pay out. And that's why you have to be you have to be very, very careful on what you're doing and how the questions that you're answering and how you're answering the questions because you miss anything. The unfortunate thing is you miss anything and that's it. Your, your policy is null and void. As much as, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, life insurance is a scam. It's not a scam, but there are, when you look at it in terms of obviously the insurers, you know, they will look, I mean, they've got, you know, millions and millions of policies. You know, if one policy is wrong, they're not going to pay out on it mm-hmm. because potentially that's money that they're pay, paying out of their pocket. So your best bet is, is to get it right, get it right the first time. And the only way to do that is to do that through, uh, do that right, to do it through the advisor. Plus, if anything happens, realistically, it is the advisor's fault mm-hmm. if he hasn't gone through this thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So realistically, you have that to look back on. If an advisor hasn't turned to you and said, well, in the last 12 months, then, you know, basically he should have asked that question. So therefore, the onus would be, in that situation, the onus would have been on us, on me, mm-hmm. if, you know, providing the advice and saying, well, did you ask these questions? And if I didn't ask those questions, then, you know, we would be liable. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we did ask the questions, and that brings another point, be truthful. I know sometimes it's like, well, you don't really want to discuss because you think the price is going to go up. But there's no point paying for something that you're not going to get paid out for. Absolutely, yeah. So for people who are looking to take out policies right now, clearly they're not going to get covered for COVID. But I think it's important to acknowledge and to put out there that that, doesn't, that shouldn't deter you if you haven't got insurance from seeking insurance because it might not cover you for COVID, but you should get cover and you should be covered for whatever the next COVID-19 is going to be. And there probably will be another one. I mean, how many of these coronaviruses have we had now? We've had had a few of them. So I think this is the first one that has affected um, globally in terms of markets, in terms of jobs, in terms of business. This is the first one that we've seen the likelihood is there's going to be another one. So I think the more of this conversation is that if you are not covered right now, yes, you can go and seek a policy. You probably won't be covered for COVID-19, but you will be covered for something, whatever else comes along in three years' time, in four years' time, in five years' time. But ultimately, it is better to have something than have nothing at all. Um, there was one other question that I was going to ask you in relation to that, you mentioned upgrade people upgrading their policies. And how does that actually work? Because I know that there'll be people that will have 
old policies from maybe five or six years ago. And as medical technology um, improves and more conditions become treatable, that you potentially get enhances in the kind of uh, medical conditions that will be included in the policy. So how does that actually work really quickly? Um, so basically, when you, you, you're upgrading your policy, um, yeah, if you had a policy, let's just say you had a policy from the early 90s. Um, now, a lot of the times is, yeah, you had a policy from, let's just say, you know, to, you know, 2000, let's say you had a policy from the 2000, that policy is now 20 years old. A lot of the times even policies were set up um, way back when they set up as term policies. So realistically, they're potentially over term. So potentially you have only, you've had 20 years already eaten up of the term of that policy, which means you probably have, let's just say another 20 years on it. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at obviously upgrading and, and looking at the policy, we're looking at extending the term a lot of the time is. Um, in terms of if we're looking at critical illness, like you said, there's certain enhancements that we made to critical illness policies. A lot of policies now, they don't just have standard long critical illness, usually have a critical critical illness extra, mm -hmm. okay? And they have enhanced policies where they enhance the amount of critical illnesses that they cover, okay? Um, they increase the, the amount of obviously ABI definitions, um, and obviously they also enhance the critical illness code for kids as well. Um, Leave are very good at doing that. Um, I've, I've done that, you know, quite nicely, and so as as league in general. Um, so when we're looking at these things, you know, old policies didn't have certain elements in it. Um, some policies didn't have terminal illness, whereas most policies today they have terminal illness included within um, the actual policy. Um, so when we are looking at the features and the upgrades, you know, levels of cover, you know, clients might need more cover than they did way back when. You know, they might have had another kid, another child since then. Um, which another thing is, is that a lot of policies then weren't written to trust, which mm -hmm. is what we we do. We write mm -hmm. more, all of our policies we write to trust. So therefore, standing outside of your will, you have a policy which stands out of your estate, and you know will be you know upon your death, uh, will be passed down to who you want to leave it to. So you're nominated trustee, and you'll have your beneficiaries. Uh, so I think that's important. So a lot of people don't have wills. Um, and God forbid something was going to happen to clients, you know, you want to know that the money that you, you know, you've been paying into, you know, the policy you've been paying into goes to the right people. Yeah. And I think that is a really important point for, I guess, for everyone who's listening to, to bear in mind, having your insurance policy written into trust makes the whole process of you trying to get your financial affairs in order a whole lot easier, particularly if you don't have a will. If you die intestate, which is the term for it, then yeah. essentially you have to go through a process which could be months in the making. And if you don't have things like power of attorneys in place, which is another thing that is very, very important, important, you could find yourself in a situation where you're unable to pay rent because you can't access your, your, your partner's bank account. You can't access funds yeah. that are in your partner's name. So mm. having things written in trust effectively ring fences the pot of money that you're insured for outside of all of this bureaucracy that has to happen in the meantime. Literally, the partner passes away, the trust comes into force, the money is paid to you. It expedites and takes away a lot of stress. And that's a really, really big point for everyone who's listening to kind of really have a look at 
making sure that you take on board and, and do a little bit of research on because these are, you know, if you have a partner who unfortunately passes away for whatever reason, the last thing you want to be dealing with is financial stress, financial worries about how you're going to pay the mortgage, how you're going to pay the rent, how you're going to put feed, food on the table. You already have a lot of stuff going on. So that should be the very last thing that you want to worry about. And see an advisor who can wrap an insurance policy in a trust will take away a whole heap of stress that you will experience with that yeah i mean literally you, you have you know you have you know that kind of scenario you have another scenario where uh you know you have a couple who are married say for instance they separate um let's say the the other partner now goes and has you know has another partner they're not married but they have a child or child together you know it becomes really messy because mm -hmm. realistically um next of kin is still the previous spouse yeah, yeah so it doesn't matter whether they're together or not if you don't have that written trust to say you want it to go to now your current partner mm -hmm. that automatically goes to your spouse mm -hmm. you know whether you're separated or legally separated or not it doesn't make a difference it still goes there and unfortunately these are the problems that can arise so you know writing it in trust getting a trustee um having your beneficiary is very very important we make sure that all of our policies uh, written trust we just we you know nominate even one if you if you can mm -hmm. uh, but it's very very important for our clients uh we feel for our clients to make sure the policies are written in trust yeah so in, in closing for this if you had one piece of advice to give to people in the current state of play right now hmm. what would that piece of advice be um if you have a insurance policy in place at the moment look to have it reviewed just to see where it currently stands. Um, seek advice for that as well, because it might be the fact that you might need, need more coverage, especially if you haven't looked at a policy in, in, let's just say 10 years, you should have your policy reviewed every, between every two to four years, okay? Um, if you don't have a policy in place, look to get some form of cover. You know, it's, yeah. I understand, you know, the, the money constraints, you know, especially in times like this at the present moment of time, but having something is better than having uh, nothing. So, yeah, and then for most of the people who who are thinking about price or thinking about is it worth it, now is the time to get it, I would say. I would definitely say, especially in this time, while you can, you know, you know, prevention is obviously, you know, better than cure. And, you know, there's no point coming to the time where you have got something or something's happened and then trying to apply for it. Mm -hmm. You just won't get covered. And that is that is the, the, the issue. You know, be proactive, get something in place. You know, as I said, even if you're paying six pounds a month, you know, for a little, let's say five, ten thousand pounds worth of cover, it is some cover. Okay. So seek and seek professional advice. You know, there's no point looking online um, and trying to do it yourself. You know, it's not going to cost you anything. Um, and you'll have the right cover, the right levels of cover in place as long as you seek a professional advisor. I think as human beings, we are people who have the tendency to learn from mistakes. But unfortunately, the mistake has to happen before we learn. And in the yeah. case of insurance specifically, you don't really have the luxury of being able to afford to be able to learn from a mistake. Because yeah. I know that I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday and we weren't talking about insurance specifically but we were talking about finances and the fact that work is now dried up and cash mm -hmm. flow and all this kind of stuff and he said one thing that was very very powerful he said 
you know, I've earned a lot of money over the years and I find myself in this situation now where I haven't got anything and I need it now more than ever. And unfortunately, it's always one of the situations where it isn't until these kind of moments that we realize mm, I really should have done this. And when it comes to insurance, unfortunately, if you are diagnosed with a critical illness, you know, a heart attack or cancer of some, some kind, and you don't have cover already in place, you cannot go and get cover once you're diagnosed. The game's over. So it's really important to sit down, think about what you want to achieve, where you want to be, and how you can protect. It's called protection because it's there to protect you. It's there to protect your goals, your lifestyle, your ambitions, your aspirations. So think about it logically. Think about what do I want to protect? What can I put in place to give me the best chance of reaching this aspiration? And you know what? If you are diagnosed with something that is life-changing, you would rather have some financial backing behind you than not have anything at all. Who wants to be going through leukemia and having to worry about paying the rent, keeping the lights on, keeping food on the table, being on statutory sick pay or having to go on benefits? That isn't a nice place to be. If you are in a position right now where you have the financial resources, where you have disposable income to allocate to and a, a protection policy, that is good use of your money. And it goes by the saying that it's better to have something than never need it than you need it and not have it. So let's be intentional. I, I talk about this a lot on IG. Let's be intentional with what we do with our money on a, on a month-to-month, year-to-year, ongoing basis. Let's be intentional. Let's take a step back. I'll share my story. I have sickle cell anemia. So in COVID-19 times, I've got to be in the house for 12 weeks, I've been told. Potentially, if what they're saying is is true, I can't leave the house until we have a vaccine. So unfortunately for me, because I have sickle cell anemia, nobody will cover me for income protection. So these are all things that I'm I'm completely aware of, and I have to make a decision at some point, whereas if this vaccine doesn't come around the corner, I have to work. I have to do my work. Now, would I take income protection if I didn't have possible cell anemia? You bet. If I could find someone who, who would actually cover me, absolutely, because it protects my lifestyle. It keeps the roof over my head. And I know that may come across as a little bit preachy, but the whole point of this podcast is to empower everybody who listened to this to make the best financial decisions possible. And this is one of the best financial decisions you could possibly make because it is about protecting you, your future, your family, your aspirations, and your goals. Before we go, Keith, why don't you tell them how they can get hold of you? Yeah, so um, we have a website, www.lifeensure.com. Dot co uk and that's life one word ensure e-n-s-u-r-e dot co uk um we have a facebook page um and it's literally just at life ensure just type it in the search engine um all of our information company details um you'll find on our website um and yeah just get in touch literally send us a message um and we'll, we'll get back to you or one of the advisors will definitely get back to you fantastic thanks for joining us keith i really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to on this. This is a really important topic and one that I wanted to cover because I know that we did this before. Um, I think <laughs> time fitting, it's even more important now than when yeah. it was when we originally recorded this, I think back in February or so. So thank you for coming on. But guys, 
that is another episode on the podcast. Again, I hope that you found value in this and you guys know where to find me on Instagram at Conversation of Money. We've got the YouTube channel. Please do go check that out because I do post there as well. And I do um, give reviews on some of the apps and some of the providers. I also give a load of financial tips as well. Um, as I always say, this is not going to be an avenue where you're going to get financial advice because I do not know your personal circumstances but what this place can do is give you education information things that you can use to base your own research upon i wish you guys a successful week until next monday i'll catch you soon